The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org. Yeah. 
Yeah. 
So I've started this summer off with lifting uh, with a good friend, Connor. It's been kind of a wild ride. Um, it's definitely easier now to get ready um, than it was when we first started, and he was having to leave me four voicemails um, before me uh, even thinking of going out again. Um, but we find people like this in our life to push us in different aspects and ideologies. This can be a good thing or a bad thing in some cases. On one hand, people will push you to your limit to make sure that when they're not there, you will be safe. And on the other hand, people in your life will be more of this life instead of more in the Lord. And they'll try to take you off your path. Acts 16.5 says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Any path in life is easier to take when you have somebody willing to work for you next to you. When I'm lifting with Connor, there are times when it's not fun. For instance, when he says, you have four more. And when I finish those four, he says, just kidding, you still have three. But the more people you have in your life that are willing to work for your benefit, the more that you can help others in the long run. I've gotten to the point of doing the same exact thing to him, and I think that that's why we're such good gym partners. We don't give excuses to make the work easier for ourselves. Working for anything in life is not easy. Faith is none different. You have to work for your faith. You can't just find Jesus if you're not actively searching for him. Finding people in your life who are further along in their walk with Christ and learning from their past experiences is a great way to get to know him more. When you're in a dark room and you can't find the light switch, is it easier or harder to find the light switch when there's somebody helping you look? Now, is it easier or harder to find that same light switch if there's somebody covering it? There will be people and things in our lives who are barriers to Christ. Addictions, lust, anything you put before God is covering that light switch. How much easier is it when there is somebody guiding you to the switch? When somebody's pushing you to go past your comfort zone, searching in the dark to finally reach out and find what you've needed the whole time. There will be barriers in your life, but there will also be torches that will help you guide along the way. Do you want to be a torch for someone else or stay in the dark without help from anybody else still struggling to find your own light? We find the answers in this book, and it's not a small book. That's why we have people here to make it easier for us to understand. They're helping you guide to God. It's up to you to take away the barriers in your life and trust the one we all believe in. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, uh, for everything you've done for us.
Thank you for the ability to, for us to choose our paths we want to be on. Thank you for people you place in our lives that point to us, to you. Thank you that when we struggle, we have those people to fall back on. Thank you that we know what we need in this life, and that is to trust you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I mean, we hear stories all the time about packages being lost or misdelivered or destroyed. A New York Times article in 2019 said that 90,000 packages a day were lost or stolen in New York City. I thought that's a little steep, but we watch these trackers around here a lot. And please understand, I'm not bashing because our family owns a FedEx deal, so I'm not making fun of them. I'm just saying around here, we watch these trackers, don't we? And and how many times do we laugh at the directions? Well, it started from Dallas, and it went to L.A., and then it went to Chicago, and then it went to St. Louis, and to Miami, and it go, and you're like, it's right, we're right here. Just drop it, all right? Just, just let it out of the plane. And we get frustrated. Why aren't you paying attention to me? We get angry, uh, panic, resentment. These are the same emotions we feel when our plans get interrupted. We're in this series called Point of Impact. And what happens when life happens? We're going to be in Luke chapter 8 if you join us there. If you're listening on the radio, you're watching online, glad you're with us. Luke chapter 8 is a story that actually shows up in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to look at the Luke version today. I have preached this before, specifically aiming at the lady that's in the middle of it and called it uh, the miracle on the way to a miracle. But I'm reading it this week through different eyes. There are two drastically different people dealing with something you and I deal with regularly, and that is death. Maybe it's death of physical, maybe it's death of a dream, maybe it's death of a plan. But I want us to look at interruptions today and how God can speak to us through this point of impact. Join me in Luke chapter 8 and verse 40. I'm reading from the New International Version today. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know the power that has, excuse me, I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. She will be healed. And he arrived at the house of Jairus. 
He did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. Then they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. As a dad, I can relate to Jairus. I can relate to what he is struggling with. He is a religious leader that ends up on his knees. Look in in verse 22. But I need us to know that what is happening in this story is not necessarily happening on the page. It's in between the lines. So we need to know a little of the back story. He fell at Jesus' feet. It says he was a synagogue leader. Now, most of the historians will tell us that that doesn't mean he was the preacher. He meant, it meant he was probably more of the caretaker of the synagogue. He was the one that every week made sure the scrolls were properly put away and properly set out for the order of worship, which is called the Derishah, and, and had it all lined out, who was supposed to read, who was supposed to take care of things at what time. There's usually a Hebrew school attached to a synagogue. He was frequently the leader in that school and making sure everything's getting taught and taken care of and the trash carried out and, and caring for all of the congregation. This is a Pharisee area, okay, where this happens. And there's a good possibility the Pharisees, we know, aren't a big fan of Jesus. True? There's probably been a meeting. There's probably been Pharisee leaders that said, hey, don't have anything to do with that crazy guy over there. All right? We, we don't want him in here. We don't want him in our church. We don't want him around here. Don't have anything to do with him. You need to know all of that backstory because... When Jairus comes and falls at his feet, he's losing prestige. He's losing, he's, he's risking his career. He's humiliating himself for Jesus. Why would he do this? Why would anyone do this and humiliate themselves? Well, his hope was probably battered. He was probably worn out. Anybody ever had a sick kid? Is that a fun experience? Uh, no, especially when they pass it back and forth and back and forth and all around. And, and it gets wearing. It gets wearying and it wears on you. But any dad, any dad in here, would you not go to any length to save your kid? Your little girl is hurting. You're going to move heaven and hell trying to make something happen. Of course you would. Humiliation wouldn't matter at all. When facing death, prestige doesn't really matter. It doesn't do much for us. So Jairus comes and he makes his case before Jesus. And this is important. He didn't demand. He didn't negotiate. Okay, if you'll do this, I'll give up on the Pharisees. I'll stand for you. He just pleads. Now this is important. Do you plead with God? Now, before you answer that, I know there has been plenty of us that have been there on those dark days and we've been crying out to God. Anybody? Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like many of us have done that. Many of us have, oh, God, please help me through this situation. Please figure something out. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how we're going to face this. 
But are we willing to lay everything down? You see, that's where this is different. This is not humiliation for humiliation's sake. It was, I'm giving it everything up to do what you said. That song we sang, if you say to, to go, I'll go. If you say to stop, I'll let it go. If you say to jump, I won't even ask how high. I'll just go where you want me to go, Jesus. Are we willing to really truly lay it down in front? Because it might cost us to humble ourselves. It might cost us status, but are we willing to lay it down? Now, I want you to keep that in your mind, and here's where everything goes completely wonky. He gets interrupted. Clearly, there's a crowd. Clearly, there's people all around. Jairus has come up, made his case for Jesus, and Jesus says, let's go. How do you think Jairus is reacting right now? He's probably running, right? He's like, come on, come on, come on, let's go. And, and there's crowds all around, and Jesus has been healing. And so they close in around Jesus, and Jairus is in the front going, no, no, come on. No, we got something more important. Okay, so this crowd gets all around. Clearly, they're all, they're all around him. And there's this woman, this woman who knows hurt. And she's running low on hope. Now, I told you, we've... We've looked at this study before, specifically about this lady. But I'm, I'm overwhelmed, and I'm afraid we miss how important this is. Not only has this lady dealt with 12 years of chronic pain and chronic female problems, all right? But in that culture, this is not just a medical issue. This is a social issue. Because any time she is dealing with this, any chair she has sat in, any bed she has slept in, any home that she has sat in, any person that she has touched, she has made them unclean. And so I don't think we get just, it's not just 12 years of physical pain, it's 12 years of isolation. She is, for all practical purposes, a leper. She can't go to worship. She can't be with her family. She can't have a career. Nobody is going to want her around. She can't be, a, if she had kids, she, she can't be around them. She can't be around her family. She has spent all she had. In the Mark version, it says all of everything she has spent on these doctors and nobody helped. I'm going to guess that means she probably spent a bunch of her family's money and she still treated like an outcast. I wonder how much do we try to understand what the other person is going through? You see, as a, a Christ follower, we need, to, we need to go deeper than just they're having problems, just they're dealing with addiction, just they're getting a divorce, just there's problems. You hear me? Do we have compassion? Because the elitist will look at somebody that is struggling in their world and they'll say, well, if they just get a job, they'd be a whole lot better. You know what I'm saying? Not a lot of compassion in that. We don't know the backstory. A judgmental person will look at somebody that's dealing with addiction and say, well, I fixed my problems, so why can't you fix yours? You know what I'm saying? And we, we tend to look at the surface and we don't go deeper. The religious morality will... will heap guilt on people and say, the reason your marriage isn't working out is you just don't have enough faith. And we'll add a bunch of junk onto people. Do we really know what it's like in their shoes? 
You see, some in our church family are dealing with grief. And some, that might have been last week, it might have been two or three or five or ten years ago. And we look, you're still dealing with that? I've heard people say stuff like that. You're still dealing with that? Come on, get over it. You see, we can't be that people. Because some people, it takes longer. It's a different amount of grief. Some people are dealing with depression. Well, can't you just get over it? Do you hear my, my heart here? We're to be the compassionate people. People are dealing with loneliness. People are dealing with marriage conflicts. People are dealing with addiction. People are dealing with past sins and past brokenness and confusion about culture and what do we listen to and are we compassionate or are we condemning? There's a lot of people who say, we've got to stand up for the truth. Yeah, but you know what I hear a lot more in Scripture about? Compassion and love. Ephesians 4 and verse 32, be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. What a great word, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. First Peter 3, finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Romans 15, this is aimed at us. Romans 15 verse 1, write that one down. We, are, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. You see, the point of impact, a point of the impact of Jesus in our life is that we will act like Christ to someone else. Do we hear that? The point of impact for us with Jesus is for us to be like Jesus to somebody else. But too often we miss this point of impact because we're too busy looking at us. And yet life happens at intersections. What does this interruption do to this dad? Now I want you to look at something. Look at Jairus. We started this story, but look and you go to verse 42 and Jairus is mentioned. And then he is not mentioned again until verse 49. What is going on in that story? Would it cause questions when this interruption happened? Because we had the story. Jairus had pled with Jesus. We got, come on, we're going to my house. We're going to get this fixed. What is, what's going through Jairus' head for those seven verses? We don't even talk about him. Hey, what's, what's the deal? What's, what's wrong with my little girl? How, what happened? How come my little girl's not important anymore? How come these other people are more important? How do you respond? This is a real question. Don't answer out loud. Listen, answer it in your mind. How do you respond when your plans get interrupted? Straight up honest? Not too well. Anybody? A little impatient? A little unhappy? Have you ever prayed and felt like somebody cut in line ahead of you? Anybody ever got cuts before? And you're sitting here praying out to God and you're crawling out to God and somebody else gets it. You're like, wait a minute. I'm single and I'm hurting and I'm lonely. How come everybody else is getting married and having babies and I'm still struggling? You hear me? Maybe, maybe you're dealing with work and you work hard and you pray hard, but other people get better jobs and they get promoted and they get raises and, and a lot of them don't even love Jesus. Does it feel, is it sometimes a little frustrating? Because you had a plan and it's interrupted. Maybe you prayed hard. 
Maybe you tried a business venture. You stepped out on faith and you knew you were doing the right thing and it's not working out. Is it easy? Is it feasible to sit there and say, did I hear you wrong, God? Anybody ever said that? Do we're like, God, I thought you said cry out. Friends, life happens at these intersections. What if there is a big life lesson at this intersection, at this point of impact? Now, I want you to notice what happens after the lady is healed. Is there rejoicing? Well, actually, no, there's not. Look real close at the text in verse 47. Are they jumping for joy? No, they're actually not. In fact, it says, when she saw she could not go unnoticed, she came trembling and fell at his feet. Why is she so afraid? She's been healed. This should be a party, right? Well, maybe she's afraid of the reactions. When they find out what her situation is, what she has just done is made this entire crowd unclean. They're going to have to go through cleansing rituals to be able to get back to the synagogue. Maybe she's afraid they're all going to be mad. Maybe she's afraid Jesus is going to get mad at her. Would that be feasible? He's a rabbi. Now, he can't go in the synagogue. He can't go teach because of these cultural laws. Friends, Jesus was never afraid of the unclean, and he still isn't. He has always felt like clean is more contagious than dirty. He has always called us to bring light, to bring salt, to bring hope, rather than let it get on us. He believes clean can do so much more. Now, here's where I got stuck with this. We see two people here, two very powerful people, two faiths of different degrees, not different denominations. You got two faiths of different degrees, but you got equal grace. Jairus comes into this story and he fully believes that Jesus can heal. He is rushing. He didn't care what it cost. He is humiliating himself. But the woman, I think she believes he can heal. But she kind of comes undercover on stealth and just to grab at the coat. Maybe she believes he can heal, but she's not sure if he will. Hear what I mean? So her faith may be a little here. Jairus is way up here. They have different faith, but the grace is the same. It's not her status in society that matters. It's her faith. Jairus is a big muckety-muck in the synagogue. She's an outcast. Do you realize there are no insignificant people in God's kingdom? Do you hear that? There are no insignificant people in God's kingdom. He loves you whether you've been here a week or a year or 500 years or five minutes. He loves you and he wants you. But that woman, she's been burned a bunch of times. She's scared to risk rejection again. Anybody ever been there? And Jesus calls her daughter, basically equating her with Jairus' kids. I wonder, I wonder if Jairus was listening or if Jesus turned to him and nodded at him when he said that. Because it just tells me how powerful this is. Jesus responds to acts of faith. Not our fancy works, not attendance at church, not how much we've memorized. He gives grace to both people, and he gives it to you and me. 
Now, this woman fought to get close to Jesus. And that's really a no-no in that culture. A woman coming up to an unmarried man, we don't do that. Billy Graham once said, Heaven is full of answers to prayers for which no one bothered to ask. I'm afraid that many, many Christians today are familiar with Jesus. They know about him, and certainly in America. I mean, it's, it's part of our culture. We do Christmas, we do Easter. We know the story of, you know, the calm in the storm. We know the prodigal son. We, we know David and Goliath. Even if you don't go to church, a lot of people know those kind of things. But I'm wondering if we're missing out on the strength of God because we're at a distance from him. I'm afraid there are plenty of even people that are in the church that may be familiar with Jesus, in the vicinity of Jesus, but not surrendered to Him. Friends, proximity to Jesus does not guarantee power. This is not enough. 90 minutes once a week is just not enough. We have got to be in the Word every day. I love what Caden had to say today. We have got to develop that. Just like going to the gym every day, it's faith is a muscle. We've got to work it. But I'm still fascinated by the dad. Do we see that it's a great day for everyone except him? And in verse 49 comes back into the story. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. Is that not the worst fear of a parent ever? To have to bury your own child? And I know some in our family have done that. And I I can't even fathom the pain that you have had to deal with there. That has got to be the most terrifying thing that he could ever deal with. That is no platform that anybody wants. Nobody wants to be that guy that their child died. Nobody wants that the platforms of pain. Nobody wants to be a widow. Nobody wants to be childless. Nobody wants to be a cancer victim. Nobody wants to be an alcoholic. Nobody wants to be a spouse or a child of an alcoholic. But sometimes we are put on platforms we didn't order. What if you're in a place right now that you don't want? You see, platforms that we are on sometimes are not pretty. Sometimes they're not flashy. Sometimes it looks like service. Sometimes it looks like grief. But Jesus Jesus puts Jairus on a platform he may not have wanted. And I need you listening really close because somebody needs to hear this. Don't give up the platform that you are on because you want to be somewhere else. Maybe God has you right where he needs you to be. What if Jesus intended to raise this girl, not just heal her, not just fix the sickness? What if he wanted to bring resurrection, a real, true, life-changing, life-bringing thing? What if the delay was part of the lesson? Now, I hear you, and I I get it, okay? That is a painful statement, especially to somebody that is dealing with grief. I can't even imagine saying that to the dad. 
I'm not in any way saying God orchestrated the pain you are in. Hear me and hear me good. But I believe in all of my core being that God can use the pain you're in for a good purpose. I remember in my darkest days when I was all alone and I didn't feel like I had any hope at all. Good Christian people would come up and get, it'll be okay. And that hurts so bad. And I, I, maybe you did it. I'm not mad. I, I mean, it just, it just hurts so bad. Oh, it's going to be okay. Pain is never going to be okay. That's not how Jesus designed. That's not how God designed the Garden of Eden. He didn't design it for pain. Pain will never be okay, but God can use pain. God can and will use it. Do we realize that on the way to a resurrection, there was a salvation? On the way to raising Jairus' daughter, this lady gets saved, gets her whole life back. Your faith has saved you, he says. On the way to revelation and resurrection, there is salvation. And she becomes a very integral part of this story. Jairus doesn't know her, but she becomes incredibly important. What if we stop at verse 49? When the guy comes up to Jairus and says, hey, don't bother. Don't bother the teacher anymore. It's dead. What if we read that? Okay, that's the end of the chapter. Let's go on to chapter 9. How would that go? Friends, what if you're sitting and you're seeing something that looks dead? And God hasn't brought resurrection yet to a marriage, to a dream, to a finance, to a health, to a, to a division in your life. What if we stop trusting when it looks like it's dead to us? And Jesus turns to Jairus and says five simple little words. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Now here's where the story changes. At the beginning, it's Jairus that is trying to convince Jesus. Do we get this? And now it's Jesus trying to convince Jairus. He's like, just trust me. All right, we got this. And it's where he takes control. He holds the girl's hand. In the Mark version, he kicks out the laughers. I I love how it says those people that were laughing. He's like, get out of this house. Why were people laughing at Jesus? Because, like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. We've been in there. That body is cold, all right? That girl is dead. And he is a lunatic. They were laughing because he didn't think like they did. I'm afraid sometimes we, too much, we think like our world, and we don't think like a child of the king. Friends, you need to get away from some influences. Caden was spot on. If there is something that is pulling you away from Jesus, you need to get away. Teens, I need you to hear this. You need to listen to what Caitlin is teaching you. You have some friends that are pulling you away from God. You need to get away from them. And that's, that's harsh, okay? Well, Don, I thought they need love. You're right, they need love. But maybe you need to get away from them right now and allow somebody else to point them to Jesus because they are pulling you away from God. Don't let those influences around you. Friends can help you. There's a story in in here where some friends of a guy created, they vandalized somebody's house to get this guy to Jesus. That's the kind of friends you want. 
Maybe not the vandals, but the, you know, the, the part that will do anything to get you to Jesus. And the ones that are pulling you away, you need to get rid of them. Friends, too many of us find our joy in situations working out. Everything's working out. And we look at our pain, and we look at our struggle, and we look at our grief, and we look at our country, and we look at everything, and we say, well, if it would just be like I want it, everything would be fine. God, fix this now. Fix it the way I want it. Do we realize the woman had to wait? Twelve years. Do we realize Jairus had to wait? He had to hear those awful words, your daughter is dead. And they were both still in their pain when Jesus met them. He didn't meet them after the pain. He didn't come to them and let me fix your pain. Let me tell you about hope. He came to them and met them right there in it. I'm a baseball fan. No shocker there. I love baseball in all forms, fashions. We, we've been watching a lot lately. I've been, uh, College World Series is going on right now. <clears throat> Last week was the College World Series for girls softball. Uh, the softball winners were a team uh, from Oklahoma. <sighs> Happened to win the third year in a row, I'm contractually obligated to compliment them. But, uh, but the Sooners won. I want you to see something, though. There's a press conference that came across the wire this last week. That's a press conference from the girls prior to the championship game. This is prior to winning. You need to hear that. And you need to know that what you're about to hear is they said all of this before they won anything. Okay? And the coach is standing right there, and these young ladies are talking about struggles and pain. And I want you to hear how they dealt with it. Let's roll this clip. Let's start with ESPN. For the players, I know you talked about keeping the joy of the game, but I'm curious. It's a long season, right? And you guys have had the target on your back the entire time, the win streak being number one. How do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that? How do you keep the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that could very easily set in. Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. And um, I think Coach has said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, um, uh, just in a good mindset, uh, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships, and all of that. So uh, I would, that's really the only the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that um, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game can be. 1,000% agree with Grace Lyons. Um, I went through that my freshman year. I I was so happy to win the college. I've talked about this before, but I was just so happy that we won the College World Series, but I didn't feel joy. I didn't have, I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for that following week. I didn't feel filled, and I had to find Christ in that. And I think that is what makes our team so strong is that we're not afraid to lose because if it's not the end of the world if we do lose. Yes, obviously we've worked our butts off to be here and we want to win, but... It's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ, and that's all that matters. 
Yeah. Um, I think a huge thing that we've really just latched onto is eyes up. And you guys see us doing this and pointing up, but we're really like fixing our eyes on Christ. And that's something where, like they were saying, you can't find a fulfillment in an outcome, whether it's good or bad. And um, I think that's why we're so steady in what we do and, and our love for each other and our love for the game, because we know this game is giving us the opportunity to glorify God. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think once we figured that out and that was our purpose and everyone was all in with that, um, it's really changed so much for us. And I mean, I know myself, I, I've seen so much of a growth in myself with um, once I turned to Jesus and I realized how he had changed my outlook on life, not just softball, but understanding how much I have to live for, and that's living to exemplify the kingdom. And I think that brings so much freedom. And I'm sure everyone's story is similar, but we all have those great testimonies that have really like shown how awesome it is to play for something bigger. Um, and I think that's just what brings me so much joy. And no matter the outcome, whether we get a trophy in the end or not, we're, this isn't our home. And I think that's what's amazing about it is we have so much more. We have an eternity of joy with our Father, and I'm so excited about that. And, yes, I live in the moment, but I know this isn't my home. And um, no matter what, my sisters in Christ will be there with me in the end um, when we're with our, our King. So. I will fully authorize you to say boomer now, right now. So, uh, it's, but do we get that that was not on some uh, Praise the Lord network? That's on CBS and ESPN. Uh, I, I, and immediately they're like, oh, hush, stop talking. You know, and, and these girls just kept talking. But did you get what they were talking about? My joy is not from winning. My joy is from Jesus. My joy is not from my circumstances working out. My joy is from Jesus. And some of us are missing that. And I want us to get just a few observations about death and interruptions and, and, and joy from, from this story. Notice that there is a 12-year-old girl and a woman that has dealt with this issue for 12 years. I don't think that's a coincidence. Neither girl is named. Neither girl is named, but both are called daughter. Both stories involve kneeling in front of Jesus. Now, maybe you've been in one of those places. Maybe you're there right now, and you need healing, and you need a miracle. We want to pray with you and pray for you. Maybe somebody has told you, don't bother the teacher. It's already too dead. Just, just move on. It's no big deal. Don't bother asking for prayers. Nah, that's, it's, it's just done. Friends, Jesus is not bothered by you. He was not bothered by that woman. He is not bothered by Jairus. He is not bothered by your worries and your concerns. He could have healed Jairus long distance. He could have healed the girl long distance. He could have snapped his fingers. He could have made all of that happen, but he didn't. He drew in close to her. Maybe he wants to do the same to you. Maybe the healing you need is you drawing in close to him. Maybe he's saying, get up. Quit your dead thinking. Quit your dead living. 
God has called you to life. Not dead thinking. Not fear. Not fear about what's happening in the world, what's happening in my culture, what's happening around. He gives life. He gives it abundantly. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust Him more. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Those girls referenced that classic hymn. Maybe you need a reminder. Maybe you're dealing with death and interruptions of dreams in your life. We've got people that will meet you in our prayer room. They'll pray with you, visit with you. If you want to stick around, we'll pray with you. If you want to call us this week and get coffee, we'll pray. and We'll, we'll help get our eyes up and point to Jesus. Because that's the thing that will heal. Let's pray. Father, I pray that today's impact is to point our eyes to you. That we fight on our knees, surrendered to you. We fight with our heart open, surrendered to you. That we're glorifying you, whether whether there's a win or a loss, whether there's pain or there's joy. We raise our voices to you because you're worthy of our praise. Get our eyes up, God. Get our mind awake. Awakened to your greatness. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.